1968, preacher David Brandt Berg founded a group initially called Teens for Christ. At first, this group consisted of young runaways and hippies. The children of God believed in group living and vigorous evangelism. Soon, the group grew to include hundreds of communes. Some members of these communities were isolated as they didn't work or send their children to school. People who held real-world jobs were called systemites. In this episode, we'll continue our discussion on the establishment of the children of God. We'll talk about David's life in seclusion and how his written scripture called the Mo Letters changed the cult entirely. Welcome to another episode of the Cabinet of Dr. Mystery. I am your host, Dr. Mystery. I tried to create living zombies. Reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. All I gotta do is relax and they'll take me to their death. Last chance to evacuate Earth before it is recycled. This is a wicked, wicked world. We are all evil in some form or another. The Ten Commandments were done away with by the law of Jesus Christ, the law of love. God not only has one law, the law of love, to love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. He said, Jesus himself said, the Son of God. In this law, he said, dwelleth all the law and all the prophets. All fulfilled in this one law, just this one law of love fulfills all ten and all the rest put together. So we don't need them anymore. We no longer under the laws of Moses. We're no longer under the Ten Commandments. We're no longer under all that religious father all and rigmarole and form and ceremony and temple worship. All you have to have to worship God today is your own heart. And you can carry this temple, which is the temple of His Holy Spirit. God's Word says so. This is the temple of His Holy Spirit today. And this is where you must worship Him. Within the temple, the holy heart. In your, the temple of your heart. Into which Jesus said, I will come in if you just open the door. Open the door of your heart. Make your body my temple and I'll come in. This is the temple of God today. And this is where he dwells today, and his only law is love for Jesus. To love the Lord with all our heart and thy neighbors thyself. That is the only religion that counts, is to have the love of God in your heart. When we last left off, we tracked the cult going from Huntington Beach, California in 1968. And we tracked them all the way up to Canada at Camp Laurentide near Montreal, Quebec. While in Huntington Beach, Berg would preach anti-church, anti-establishment sermons at Huntington Beach Light Club. So the Huntington Beach Light Club it was a Pentecostal evangelical ministry coffee house. So this coffee house, they would have musical performances, they would have sermons, and they would have services. 
and Berg would get up on stage and he would present his sermons and with his sermons, he would attack the system. We talked briefly about this in our last episode. The system is everything that's worldly. People who hold real jobs, children who didn't attend school in one of the communes, anyone who isn't a part of the cog is a systemite. Anybody who isn't a part of the children of God is a systemite. So on these different communes that they had, the children of God would also have schools for children. And a lot of the former members of the children of God say that they have no more than a sixth grade education. They say they didn't have time for schooling. School was not at the forefront. The parents were more concerned with how they were going to eat or where they would get their clothing. So they would go out and they would beg on the street and they would perform for money. They would busk. These young children would go out on the street and they would busk. When they were in Huntington Beach, when Berg was preaching these anti-church, anti-establishment sermons, the group felt some pressure from, you know, all their aggressive messages that Berg was preaching about, and people started paying attention. You know, it was no longer Teens for Christ sitting on the boardwalk playing songs. Now it was Berg with all these anti-establishment, anti-church sermons. So with all this pressure that they felt, with all this pressure they felt from the media and parents and everybody around them, they hit the road. And Berg had around 50 followers from the Teens for Christ band at Huntington Beach. And throughout their, you know, they're on the road, they're traveling. The group gained more and more followers through this traveling evangelism. When they started traveling around, they would go from town to town, state to state, and they would go into every place that they went to, every town. They would pull up in their traveling caravan of school buses and campers. And they would pull up into town and then they would break out their instruments and they would break out their Bibles and they would start preaching about God. And then everywhere that they went, they would also ask for food or ask for money, ask for donations. As I said in our previous episode, the family established a commune near Montreal, Quebec. Uh, At this point, they weren't known as the family. I think they might have been known as the children of God. In our last episode, if if you're just tuning into this one, you should listen to our previous episode, part one of this series, first. But in our previous episode, we spoke about how the children of God started out as Teens for Christ, and they went through numerous name changes. Now they're known as the family, or the Family International. At one point, they were known as the Family of Love. So at this camp in Montreal, or near Montreal, David began taking several young women in the group as his new wives. One of these was Karen Zerby. Karen Zerby, you may have heard me talk about her in the previous one or on our social media. Karen Zerby is the current leader of the family, current leader of the group. And we'll hear more about her later in the series. We'll talk about her, you know, more again and again as we go throughout each episode in the series. She'll be mentioned because, you know, she is an influential part of this, right? We'll talk about her again a little bit, you know, in a little bit here. But you'll see her pop up again and again. In the last part of our series, we'll tell you about where she is now and how the family is now. Because she is still the current leader of the group and the family, the children of God, are still active. They're just operating under a different name. 
David made this grand proclamation of the old church and the new church. He made this prophecy at the Laurentide Quebec Commune. So he claimed that Karen, Karen Zerbe, he gave her the name Maria, and he claimed that she was the young new church that God was raising up. And his wife Jane, again we talked about her in the previous series, so if you haven't listened to that, you should probably listen to that before we continue. So he said that Jane, his current wife, was the old church, basically out with the old in with the new. God's trying out something new. He told me so. He told me that he wanted me to have this, what, 19-year-old, this 19-year-old wife, Karen Zerby, and get rid of my old wife, Jane. I don't know if he completely got rid of Jane at this point, but he wasn't. Karen was his wife. These young, these young women were his new wives. This prophecy would be one of David's first Mo letters, which were prophetic proclamations. He would use a lot of Bible verses to justify his aggressive teachings and tactics, which were found in these Mo letters. For example, to justify his followers getting rid of everything or selling everything and giving the money to the cult, he would use the Bible verse Luke 14.33, which goes, So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He would have his followers go back to their parents or other family members of theirs and claim all that they could as their own, sell them, and give them all of the proceeds, give all of the proceeds to the cult. To justify this, he would use Exodus 12.36. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required. And they spoiled the Egyptians. David called this spoiling Egypt, for obvious reasons. The basic idea here is David is once again comparing himself and the cult to the Israelites. The idea behind this verse is that the Israelites stripped Egyptians of their most valuable things. But they weren't criminals when they did this because God had instructed them to do so. And there also wasn't any injustice done to the Egyptians because they owed the Israelites for what they had done. In this scenario, the cult is the Israelites, and the parents of the members of the cult, they're the Egyptians. And they owe the members of the cult whatever they should decide to take. So says God. Before we get into the Mo letters, we'll just finish talking about, you know, the establishment of the cult and some of the practices they began implementing. In the fall of 1969, the group began sackcloth demonstrations. So in our last episode, we talked about David and Virginia's end-time prophecies. So on numerous occasions... David's mother, Virginia, who we introduced in the previous episode, she would come up with these, or she would have these visions, those prophetic visions of David being blessed by God, of David being an end-time prophet. So these, these end-time prophecies that David and Virginia proclaimed, 
they led the group to dress in sack cloths, so just like empty cloth bags, and they put ashes on their foreheads in Washington, D.C., then Philadelphia, Times Square in New York, and then outside the U.N. headquarters. So this group of people, they would show up kind of like the, the paper bag princess. I don't know if you've heard of that, if you've read it. They would show up like the paper bag princess and they would put ashes on their forehead. The ashes were meant to signify the downfall of man, the downfall of society. So they were doing these demonstrations and they were, they had these signs that said the end times are near and they had, all, you know, they were screaming repent and all, all these other phrases that they had practiced. And they went, they went across to different places, different cities, and they had these sackcloth demonstrations with you know, ash on their forehead. I think that's crazy. That to me, I mean, you know, and you have to look at it as these are people that have already been brainwashed. They're already part of a cult, something greater that they can belong to, right? They've been saved by Jesus and they're in this communal living. They're in these caravans. They're they're playing the guitar. Everything at this point at this point in the group, there was no sexual activity at all unless you were, you know, married to that other person and the marriage had been sanctified by Berg or the church. So it was, it was relatively innocent at this point. The most stressful thing or the most chaotic thing would be these end-time prophecies that, that Berg is, is preaching about, is proclaiming are happening. And he's saying that he had a vision from God. So some of the former members, they said... What really influenced them was David's background. So in the first episode, we talked about his upbringing and his, his forefathers, his grandmother and his grandfather, and their parents and their grandparents, how he had this strong Christian traditional upbringing. So a lot of former members of the cult, they mentioned that David's his strong Christian traditional upbringing and the fact that all of his previous family members were pastors or they worked in evangelical ministry, a lot of them said that that showed them or, or compelled them to listen and follow David because they thought, okay, well, he has a bigger connection to God. He has a better connection with God than I do. He knows something that I don't know because his whole family, the, the, his whole life, they've all been, not even his life, but like for Years, generations before him, they've all been pastors or evangelical ministers or traveling ministers, right? So a lot of former members said that is what really led them to believe that they needed to follow his end-time prophecies and follow his, you know, we'll get into it in a little bit here when he starts writing his Mo letters, but follow him to the end of the earth is the way that I would put it. A lot of these people, they thought, he has a connection with God, and I want that connection so as these end-time prophecies were, were ongoing and the sackcloth demonstrations were ongoing, the group gathered supplies and they hunkered down for the destruction of the systemites. They gathered all their supplies and they told the world about it and then they waited. They went into their seclusion and they waited for the destruction of the world so that they could emerge on top and they could be the new generation of people, of world leaders. So initially... In his first few end-time prophecies, David had specific dates that the world would end on. So he would say, this specific date, there's going to be nuclear war. There's going to be this, we mentioned the earthquake that's going to swallow up California. 
So he would give specific dates when he first started giving prophecies. And later on, after these prophecies didn't happen, you know, the dates would come and go and nothing would happen. He would just give more, more vague prophecies, more vague in terms of when it's going to happen. Right. He would say, oh, you know, this will happen a couple years after my death or this will happen at some point. One end time prophecy that I found really interesting goes as follows. The Great Tribulation will begin with the world's being racked by wars. A great socialist leader will rise out of Egypt and he will end the wars, taking over the world and establishing a benevolent socialist dictatorship. After three and one half years of this reign, he will show his true face as the Antichrist. He will demand to be worshipped. He will exterminate those who refuse, particularly the, the children of God members. And he will destroy all Bibles and all Mo letters. Christ will return after another three and a half years. He will lift up all living saved believers. He will defeat the Antichrist and he will subdue Satan. There will be a general resurrection of deceased believers and Christ will establish a physical millennium on earth and rule over it with the help of the children of God members. So that is one of David's end time prophecies. That's why all of these members stayed with him. And when he asked them to do controversial things, we'll discuss sharing and flirty fishing later on. But they followed him because he told them, you're following me to the end of the world and you will be saved and you will be able to pray other people out of heaven to reserve your spot if you come with me and you follow me. But David's thing was, he wrote Mo letters where he said that you need to be entirely and wholly committed to the church and to his cult specifically. So without being entirely committed, without doing, going above and beyond and doing everything in your power to always have a smiling face in those communes and always be ready to have sex with somebody. I mean, not at this point. At this point, he hadn't introduced that yet, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on. But you needed to go all the way for Jesus, and that was his thing. You needed to get rid of all your possessions, and you needed to listen to everything that he said and follow it down to the letter. You wanted to be saved. You wanted to avoid dying in the end times. You wanted to make it out. You wanted to make it to heaven or make it to the new Jerusalem or the new kingdom after the end of the world. Then you follow him. There is no other way. There is no other way. God has determined that David Brandt Berg is now his prophet, and they would follow him because of his years of experience. It's crazy, but that's the mentality. We mentioned at the end of the last episode that the group eventually generated hundreds of communes across the world with thousands of members. One of the first major communes or colonies was the Texas Soul Clinic in Thurber Colony. In our last episode, I'm going to keep saying that over and over again, but just a quick recap, we talked about his friend, I believe his name was Fred Jordan, and David had worked under him for a really long time. So the Texas Soul Clinic in Thurber Colony, or, or Erath County, Texas, this was part of Fred Jordan's project as well. So it wasn't just the Children of God, it was also part of the Texas Soul Clinic, which was part of Fred Jordan's projects as well. In February 1970, 
150 members of the group established a 425-acre colony a few miles from the ghost town of Thurber in Erath County, Texas. So like I said, most of the child sexual abuse and incest and all this and all this sexual sharing, most of that was kept with David's own family. So we talked about how David would give his younger, you know, his younger daughters, how he would give his younger daughters, quote, front rubbings frequently before bed. And we'll talk about a little bit later on about how, you know, the story of David Ito, when we actually cover that book, how it actually encouraged sexual abuse with children and and sexual activities with children. And it was under the, the guise of calming them down. But for now, most of this was kept in, you know, his immediate family. His immediate family, when they were older, they were designated as high up leaders who lived privileged lives, and that included him and Karen Zerby. He and Karen also lived a very privileged life, and most of their followers were living in squalor. You know, they had no money. They were begging for food and and change and whatever people would give them on the streets. Meanwhile, David and and the you know higher up leaders they would live you know a life of luxury. Around this time, there was a rise in awareness of cults, and many family members of cult members would attempt to reach out and convince the members in the Children of God to leave. Now they had a name for these family members. They were called Ten Thirty Sixers. And they were named after the Bible verse, Matthew 10.36. And it goes like this. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That's really convenient. That the people that care about you the most, the people that love you the most, the people you're most closest to, those are the people that are going to take you down. Anybody that tries to, to tell you that you shouldn't be in this group, they're trying to take you down. Those 10.36ers are no good. So despite pressure from parents, anti-cult organizations, and individuals attempting to deprogram current cult members, the cult continued to grow in numbers. Crazy. One man, Ted Patrick, was nicknamed Black Lightning. Patrick was enlisted by Free Cog, a.k.a. Free Our Children from the Children of God. And Patrick would kidnap, he would actually kidnap, cult members, and he would deprogram them using isolation, shock therapy, and in this case, with Children of God members, he would use Bible verses to deprogram cult members. Right? So he would contradict what David Berg says. They would say, well, here's what David Berg said. He used this Bible verse. This is why I listen to what he says. And then he would say, well, what about this Bible verse that contradicts what Berg has said? There was also an increase in practices such as breaking up and reassigning couples into different marriages. So along with that, they would remove children from their families and they would move them to different communes around the world. So they would say, okay, you know, this family of four, now it's, I'm going to take away the husband, we're going to take away the two kids, and we're going to distribute them among the cult. Different communes, different worlds, different countries. I mean, not different worlds, we can go to different planets someday, but. Mars, where you at? Talking a lot about Elon Musk with my family members. Mars on the brain. But, you know, they they were taking these families and they were breaking them up so that these family members, it wasn't like you would have the opportunity to be protected by your parents. They would take you and they would move you somewhere else. Maybe you would even become one of David Berg's new wives. 
that was a, a controversial thing as well, was breaking up the families. It was a way for them to have ultimate control over the members of the cult. But it was also something that a lot of people remember the reason why people would leave. By the end of the 70s, Berg and Karen, now known as Mo or Moses, and Maria, they had moved into seclusion. Their location was only known to David's immediate family members or higher-up ranking officials in the cult. In the spring of 1971, the prophet and his new wife fled to London. In December 22, 1972, David wrote the Mo letter titled, I Got a Split. In this letter, David compared himself to Jesus and said that he had to leave so he could be alone with God. So while he was alone with God, he could hear God clearly and he could write God's word to the people of the children of God. So instead of coming clean and saying, oh, you know, there's some issues with the cult and you know, there's a lot of stuff happening that I don't want to be involved in. Instead of saying, you know, being honest and saying, I'm going to leave and you guys can face the music for, you know, whatever problems I, I have caused. Instead of owning up to what he's doing, escaping, he just wrote this letter and, and used it as an excuse that he needs to be alone with God and he can't be with God where everyone is. He ended this letter with the statement, for the words that I speak unto you are not mine, but the Father's. Hear ye him. According to one ex-member, while reading passages during a Bible study, he read Ezekiel 34, when he read a part mentioning the name David. Everyone in the Bible study in the room began speaking in tongues, and they believed that God had sent them a message that they were following the right path, that they were following the right leader. And a few months later, in the Mo letter, David, Berg recalled the previous prophecies he and his mother had, as well as stating that he was the long-awaited end-time prophet David. He quoted Ezekiel 34 as a message from God himself that David was the chosen one. This guy made himself Neo, Damn, Keanu Reeves in tight leather over here. Look at this guy. If I understand correctly, in this Mo letter, he's stating that in these specific Bible verses in Ezekiel 34, 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and Ezekiel 34, 24, I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. He's saying... That when the Bible was written, whoever wrote this or whoever wrote the words from God, however you interpret the Bible, then this person who will be prince, the lead shepherd, the big cheese, this person is him. He was the person in particular. He was the David that God spoke about centuries ago. The David referenced in Ezekiel is supposed to bring upon the fiery end times of humanity. Just a note. So that's the David that he thinks he is. In a following Mo letter, he declared that everything written in the Mo letters were the voice of God himself. And by 1972, the children of God claimed to have up to 1,400 members. With continued pressure from parents, law enforcement, and anti-cult groups, the children of God 
put on a concert to show the parents of cult members that the cult wasn't harmful. Obviously, this didn't convince anybody. They could see right through it. The parents of cult members themselves, they convinced the Texas Soul Clinic, which was still part of Fred Jordan's operations, they convinced them, the commune in Thurber, Texas, to evict the Children of God members. So the parents said, hey, we can't stop you. We can't get you to come back and live with us. You're going to keep putting on these fronts and you're going to keep pretending like everything's fine because you're brainwashed and we know that you're brainwashed. So they said, well, we're going to get you kicked out of there and then maybe you'll come home to us. Berg urged his followers to break up the larger communes in L.A. and Thurber, Texas and spread their message throughout the USA and the world. His followers set up communes across the country and into Western Europe and South America. In 1973, Berg wrote the Mo letter entitled The Great Escape. So in The Great Escape, that was basically the idea, is breaking up all of these different communes, having them spread further. So instead of, we're evicted, that's it, everybody go home, good run, he said, no, we're evicted, we have no place to go, but we will go throughout the world. And they did. And the communes, they dotted the entire globe. It's crazy. So a lot of these Mo letters, I have them on my phone. I've been looking at them. I've been looking through them. A lot of them are just, they're just drunken ramblings of, of nonsense. The further in you get, the deeper in you get with these Mo letters, you can tell he's a drunk, horny-toed preacher. If he was in Thumbelina, that's what he would be. Just, uh, he's just a horny toad. Some of these Mo letters he began writing about open polygamy. One of them was called Revolutionary Lovemaking. One was The Love Light. One was The Goddesses. And a lot of these were just written about sharing amongst each other. So it was this idea of sharing spouses with each other. So if you are attracted to someone, you go up to them and you say, Hey, I want to share you. And the idea is that you're expressing God's love. So when your buddy comes up to your wife and says, hey, I'm going to stick it in you, it's not a bad thing. It's not mean. He wants to share. I don't know. Maybe you should try that the next time, you know, when COVID's over, the next time you're out at a, at a club. So I want to look up just a couple of these Mo letters and just tell you the, the titles of a few of them. So without reading too many of these, I'll, I'll go into further detail in a couple of them. I'll describe them in further detail as we go throughout, you know, the next, this episode and the next episode. The Priestesses of Love, that's one title. The Dancer is another. Hypocrisy About Sex. Another one is called FF Revolution. One is titled Sex Letters. Another is God's Love Slave. Hypocrisy About Sex. How to Charm a Fish with Flirty Fishing. So flirty fishing. In the Bible, it says, Go out and fish for men. The idea is that Berg saw this. Go out and fish for men. Bring me your, like, I think it's something ye fishers of men. David announced flirty fishing and stated that women should go out and flirt with men, acting as bait on a hook, and then that way they can convert the said men and bring them into, quote, the kingdom of God. FFing 
as it would later be known, was a practice that David and his new wife Karen, or I guess Moses and Maria at this point, they had experimented in secret for a few years. Karen went out and practiced this, and Karen went out and found other women within the group, and they would send these women to bars and nightclubs, and they would convert, quote-unquote, convert these men and bring them into the cult. So you're acting like, you know, you're bait on the hook, and you're going to hook these men who have money and valuables, and, and they can offer that to the cult. And that's the idea, right? You know, he'll say in various Mo letters, he'll say that the idea is that you're sharing God's love through the art of sex. And when you share God's love, when you show these men that you can give ultimately for God and you show them God's love and you give them the gift of God's love through your vagina or your mouth, however, I don't know, or your butt, I don't know, your toes. I'm trying to think of different ways that you could have sex. So that's about all I got. One time I was at cadet camp and someone said, could you please get your penis out of my ear? So maybe that's another way. I don't know. But the idea is, the idea is that you're going to go out and you're going to fish for these men and bring them back into the cult and you're going to show them the kingdom of God. But what is really happening here is David is sending them out to basically fish men of influence or fish men with wealth. And that way he can use that same doctrine of giving wholly and completely to the cult. And if he gets these men through the art of sex or whatever, well, in this case, it is sex. If he gets these men to sacrifice all of their belongings and all of their money to him and the cult, then all the better. When it started, FFing was really this idea of bringing men into the cult so that they could become, you know, evangelists for Christ as well, right? But eventually, the FFing just turned into straight-up prostitution, right? It was human trafficking. David and other leaders would pimp women out. They would take women and they would pimp them out to high-ranking executives and government officials. And I'm going to put a trigger warning here. Trigger warning, if you're in a workplace right now, or you've been sexually assaulted or abused, you may want to skip ahead a few seconds. It's not crazy. I'm just giving you, you know, common courtesy. I'm about to say a word because it's the title of this Mo letter and it's important that I say it. It might offend you. It offends me. It really does. I don't know. The word bothers me itself. So I figured I'd give you a trigger warning. One Mo letter, which was entitled Rape, it stresses that you should only practice flirty fishing if you're willing to go all the way. On some of the pages of the illustrated true comics, which were his illustrated Mo letters, he quoted Matthew 10 verse 8, Freely ye have received, also freely give. So the idea here is that God has given you such a beautiful body and God has given you the ability to share your body through sexuality and through sex itself. You have been freely, you have been given, so also freely you will give. And that's the general idea. You'll see again and again in documentaries or whenever former members, ex-members of the children of God are speaking about the cult itself and about this time period, you'll see that more and more people, especially women, are encouraged to share and to 
go out and do flirty fishing because there's it's and the quote is that you'll hear again and again is you were given this beautiful body by God you need to give that freely another section of these mo letters states as long as you're not compelled to deny your faith there is no reason why you shouldn't submit willingly and lovingly it said a lot about rape it's it's entitled rape and the idea that david was really getting across he was saying public officials like police officers and that and the media they will say that when a woman is raped that you know she was asking for it or that you know she was out too late at night etc cetera, etc cetera. and he said that a lot of police officers will say well the best way to the best way to survive being raped or sexually assaulted is to just let it happen that's what i read in these mo letters david was saying the best thing is to just let it happen that you submit and let the man do what he needs to do, and then he'll leave you alone after that. I don't think that's necessarily true, but that's what a lot of police officers do say, is that you should just let the man do what he needs to do, and then, you know, move on from there. That way you won't be killed. I don't think that's true. Scratch his eyes out, rip his balls off, fuck anyone who sexually assaults or even harasses anyone. But that's just my opinion, and I've never really been in that position, so I don't know if I would rip someone's balls off or not. The general consensus of this Mo letter is there really isn't any rape. If you're not willing to go all the way with flirty fishing, then you shouldn't even start. It's basically like don't initiate, don't flirt, unless you can go all the way. And if you're going all the way, you're going all the way for Jesus. I don't have any specific phrases in front of me right now, but in a lot of these Mo letters, they talk about how when you're actually having sex with someone, you're, when you're sharing or you're flirty fishing, you're not actually having sex with that person. Or you are, but you're having sex with God. And you're sharing God's love. And that's what an orgasm is. And that's what you're doing when you're sleeping with other people. What he would say is specific phrases. And I don't have them in front of me right now. Maybe I'll look them up if you guys are really nice to me later. The idea is that he would have phrases that you could say to Jesus. So when you are having sex with someone through sharing or flirty fishing, you can have Jesus with you. So it's like the idea is that you tell Jesus these specific phrases like, Jesus, come and fill me up, you know, stuff like that. And that, that's what you should say when you're having sex. To justify the wife swapping, which was the sharing, and orgies and public masturbation that was discussed in these Mo letters, he used the Bible verse Titus 1.15, quote, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciousness are corrupted. If you're acting in a pure and loving way, if you're acting with the best interest of God, if you're acting in a way that will, I guess in this case, pleasure God? I don't know, does God have a G-spot? Do you think that God has a G-spot? Let me know, cabinetofmystery at gmail.com. I am still waiting to hear from somebody about these weird questions that I ask. Does Jesus have a G-spot? Let me know. I'm I'm down to learn. I don't know if you know the anatomy of gods of different, I don't know, we've got the ultimate god. Is he just one in a long line of mythical gods? I don't know. You can also let me know that. I'm here. I'm here. I'm just drinking, smoking, talking about God's G-spot. That's all it is, right? 
the cover of one Mo letter entitled Revolutionary Sex featured two children on the front, nude from the waist up. In a thought bubble or a, or a statement bubble, the young boy says, Is sex a sin? And the girl replies, We want to know about it. So that's a tough one to look at. Two young children featured on the cover. These are illustrated comics, so he would preach or write these sermons, these prophetic proclamations found in the Mo letters, and someone would illustrate them and bring them to life. In one of his sermons around the time, and I heard this myself with my own ears, around the time of the revolutionary sex letter, David says the following, God made boys and girls able to have children around the age of 12 years old. They'll say, oh no, he's advocating for child brides. Yes, I am. That's a hard one to think about. He's actually openly admitting that he's advocating for child brides. Kids as young as 12. So a lot of former members, they'll talk about how when they were as young as 12 years old, they were taken and put in different communes. They'll talk about how they were made to be David's wives or they were made to be someone else's wife. They'll say that when they were as young as 12, they were trafficked around the world. They were separated from their parents and they're brought to different communes across the world. Crazy to think about. In various Mo letters, David writes that you should not pull out. So consequently, with the banning of contraception, with the banning of pharmaceutical drugs, with, you know, you weren't allowed. You weren't allowed to have contraception. So a lot of men were, were giving, were, they were sharing, they were wife swapping, they were flirty fishing, and a lot of women didn't use contraception. And therefore, there was a lot of children raised into the cult. There was a lot of you know, born and bred inside of a cult. These are the new members. These are the new leaders of the children of God. These young children that were actually born into the cult. And you'll see that sometimes women had children that were not necessarily the children of men that were actually a part of the group. You'll see in the case of Ricky Rodriguez, who is Karen's child. Karen had this child with a man that she, she was flirty fishing. David raised Ricky as his own, and we'll get into Ricky in the future. And I know that I said that we would talk about Ricky Rodriguez in this episode. I just feel, after reading a lot more about this and studying a lot of other people's stories, I feel like Ricky's story would be more impactful, and the eventual outcome of his story would be more understandable if you heard everything else involved in the children of God, and you actually heard from other people that were inside the cult. In one letter entitled, The Dancer, David suggests that stripping and dancing for other men is a way of embracing God's love. That the women should join various clubs around the world and become the dancer that they truly are. So here, you can see that David is just basically recruiting women for his own private clubs. Like I said, at, at one point, FFing was just straight-up prostitution, but in some of the documentaries that you see, you'll see that David actually had these different clubs set up across the world in different communes, in different, you know, communities. And basically at these clubs, it would just be women stripping, 
and it would be that that men would fly all over from all over across the world and they would come to these clubs to quote unquote be fish but it wasn't that they were even evangelizing at this point they were just straight up prostituting women right they were just trafficking women and it was that these men would go to these clubs and they would pay and they would have sex with these women and david would take that money and he would use it for his own good and he would have these people in different communes across the world and they would be getting in trouble with law enforcement and they would be being persecuted by, you know, uh, their own family members, which is not necessarily a bad thing because you're in a cult, bro. You know, David really just hung everybody else out to dry and he used the women from the, the cult and he would traffic them and he would take the money himself and he would use it for, you know, his own needs or the needs of the higher-ups in the cult. The Mo letter, Glorify God in the Art of Dance. This letter discusses how women and girls should record themselves stripping and send the videos to David Berg. So here he's experimenting with video camera. Instead of being there physically and exploring each individual person, each individual woman, he's asking them to send him videos of themselves stripping, taking off their clothes. He was also kind enough to include instructions. So in the Mo letters, he instructs them in what they should wear and in how they should strip, in what manner they should strip. And he says that bras and other undergarments are bulky and ugly and that the woman should wear nothing but a silk scarf or a shawl for stripping. He was also nice enough to include instructions. So in these letters, he instructs them in what they should wear, saying bras and other undergarments are bulky and ugly, and that the woman should wear a silk scarf or a shawl for stripping. Basically, he wrote an instructional guide on how to strip for him. In a lot of the documentaries that I watched, stripping women would have crowds of other members. So they would be stripping and they would have a crowd of the communes, of the community, with them in the room while they're being filmed taking off their clothes. They're filming these videos and sending them to David Berg. And in some of the footage that I've personally seen in various documentaries and on the xfamily.org website, I've seen that there are children that are in the background that are present that are watching or looking at these women while they're stripping nude on camera. So this is kind of the beginning of having sex with children is okay. This is the, the start of these pedophilic kind of integrations into the children of God. Even after all this crazy sex subject matter in the Mo letters, in 1973, the cult had a total of 2,000 400 full-time members in 40 different countries. One Mo letter that really blew me away. I don't know if that's the right choice of words. But one Mo letter that really took me by surprise or really showed me how David Berg perceives himself. This Mo letter is entitled, David Is. And on the cover... The very first page, it shows David with three younger children. 
And it says, David is a king, a prophet, a shepherd, a mountain man, a fighter, a teacher, a papa lion, a grandpa, and much, much more. Yes, he's a fucking pedophile. And for each of these subjects that I'm going to tell you, it shows an illustration of him doing something that is, you know, relative to what I'm, the, the subject that I'm going to mention. I will just say, though, the second one that I'm looking at here, it's called Gypsy King, and it's got a picture of David Berg with his mouth, like, wide open, and there's a mountain in the background, and it looks very suspiciously phallic. Uh, it looks like David is about to accept this giant mountain penis, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with that. So it says, David is a missionary. He is a gypsy king. He is a prospector, a captain, an iconoclast, the lover of the word. He is a crazy crusader. He's a deep sea diver. He's an exorcist. He's an advocate, a magician. Ooh, I like magicians. He's a rescuer of the bound. He's an innovator, a prayer warrior. He is Ezekiel. He is a salesman, a trumpet, a bottle. Ooh. He's a farmer. He's a pistol. No, his dick is a pistol. He's a wild songbird. He's a spider. The fuck? So he's a bird and a spider. So wait, was he the bird first or the spider first? Or is he both? Because they're going to eat each other. I mean, like, the bird is going to eat the spider, right? King David of the whole world. He is grandpa. Creepy photo of him with three children. He looks like he looks like Santa Claus, but Santa Claus, the one that you don't want to sit on his lap. Haha. <laughs> that Santa Claus that you have down at the mall. And your mom's like, yeah, you can sit on his lap. And you're like, no. He's Moses. He's the king of love. He's the king of the beggars. Well, that's true. He's a law giver. He's a good shepherd. He's an intercessor. He's a prophet. A loving husband, an angry prophet. Ooh, you don't want to piss this prophet off. He's a teacher. He's a giver. He's a weeping prophet. Oh, he's fucking sad. Look at him. Oh my God, is he ever sad. His tears are just dripping down in this illustration. He's a world changer. He's God's gift of love. And he's holding a baby over Earth. So he is now in space? I'm confused. He's the Wizard of Oz? but A-H-S. Ass? He's a laughing prophet. He's an Aquarius. Ooh, good to know. He's a disciplinarian, a chiming clock, a wire photo and teletype machine. What the fuck is that? I'm 30. I'm not that old. He's an early warning system, a tape recorder. He's God's channel. He's a gnome. Okay. That's fucking weird. He's a gnome? Tell me your secrets, little gnome. What do gnomes do? He's a vernier. He's a computer. He's a fountain. He's a scientist. He's a forgiving father. He's the grand achoo. David is our grand achoo. When the prophet even sneezes, the whole world listens. Get the fuck out of here. Everybody listens to the grand achoo. It's not very pretty, but it's a message for you. It winds up and winds up and then goes, Achoo! Everybody listens to the grand achoo. It's probably a good thing he's not around during COVID because they'd all just think that he has a blessing from God when he's sneezing and coughing. 
It continues, he's a baby child prophet, a fortune teller. He's an adventurer. He's a dreamer of dreams. He's the head of the house. He's a priest. He's an astrologer. He's Jeremiah. He's an administrator. He's a defender of the weak. He's a projectionist of God's cinema. He's a pen. Oh, relatively lame. He's a black knight, a photographer, a traveler, a gardener. He's God's eyes. He's a revolutionist. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I've probably been reading just this one Mo letter forever. And it's, I'm on page 41 of 79. So there's so many different things that David claims to be, right? And the one thing that we see again and again is he claims to be a papa lion. And the definition for the papa lion David is our Papa Lion of the tribe of Judah. God has used him and his faithful little keeper to lead us all into an exciting new life to the amazement of the whole world. He may be old and his keeper very small, but he's still very strong and has very good teeth. Rawr. So what is his keeper? What is David's keeper? Is that his penis? He may be old, And his keeper very small, but he's still very strong. So he has a tiny dick, but he's a very strong man. If you actually look at these Mo letters, you can see that David thinks very, very highly of himself. And, you know, we could continue. We could keep reading Mo letter after Mo letter after Mo letter. But I think there's thousands. I believe that there are thousands of these. And his followers took these as dead-on scripture, like this is straight from God's mouth. These are new prophecies. This is the new Bible. You know, we look at the Bible that we're given through Christianity, and we look at this scripture that the Mo letters are. In the following episodes, we're going to talk about how these Mo letters and the teachings that David has now brought into the cult through these Mo letters how they're going to affect individuals within the cult. And we'll explore some stories from ex-members, and we'll, we'll continue in our path along the children of God and following their evolution into what they are today. We'll continue that in later episodes. I wanted to read you an awesome review that we just got before we finish off the episode. One of the new reviews that we got is from, I don't, I, you know, I'm going to forgive me, Forgive me for mispronouncing this. Izzy, I love you. You're wonderful. You're an amazing friend. I'm so glad that you checked out the show and you like it. Isobel Rabbit? Isobel Rabbit? I'm so sorry. I know you're going to give me some flack for that. But Izzy writes to us, and she gives us a five-star rating, ready to be creeped out. You've watched the boring, drawn-out Netflix specials, heard the folks who only hit the tidbits, But you have got to check this out. Creepy and freaky, you need to listen. Another five-star rating for the Cabinet of Doctor Mystery, and we are so excited, Izzy, that you gave us that review, and we will be sending you the mug. You are the winner of our giveaway contest that we had on our social media platforms. If you would like to win stuff in the future, or you would like to be featured in the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser, and you can also send us a voice message. 
Are you fascinated by true crime like us? If so, check out our podcast, Crime Divers, hosted by me, Jill. And me, Laura. Look out for new episodes every Tuesday when we discuss true crime from around the world. So what are you waiting for? Come join us as we dive in. This episode is produced by Death Hotel Creative, hosted by myself, Dr. Mystery. To view more, visit us at notwhatwesay.com, check out our Instagram handle at Cabinet of Mystery, or our Twitter at OpenTheCabinet. Please leave us a review if you enjoyed the show, and let us know what topics you'd like to hear in the future. You can hit us up either on the socials or at cabinetofmystery at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voice message and appear in upcoming episodes, you can leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash cabinetofmystery. Thank you so much for listening, and please subscribe or follow for more episodes.